Well, good morning, family. It's, it's really good to see you guys. If you're a guest or curious skeptic with us this morning, we want to welcome you to Crossway, and we hope God's peace comes upon you. Grab your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3. That's right, just three verses today. Aren't you lucky, right? <laughs> we are becoming a church that moves together at the speed of prayer. And so we are emphasizing, uh, once again, the together part of that today. The together part of that. So if you would please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menon, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Everlasting Father, it, it is an honor just to be in your presence today. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I, there is something uh, here in the text, and it doesn't directly relate uh, to the message I want to give this morning, but I, I feel I would be remiss if I ignored it, considering our culture is celebrating Black History Month right now. Uh, this week, I don't know if you heard about this or not, Barnes & Noble canceled their uh, diversity initiative. Anyone hear about this? Uh, this initiative took classic novels written by white authors, and they redesigned the cover art with, quote, characters of co uh, color. Their intention was to connect minority groups with classic literary authors, but in actuality, they literally ignored authors of color in doing this. Whoops. L.L. Uh, McKinney reports, what was supposed to be a celebration of diversity to kick off Black History Month turned into a moment where black writers weren't actually part of that celebration. I bring this up because as Luke documents the beginning of Christianity, he masterfully celebrates the diversity of Christianity. Luke intentionally records a list of five respected leaders in the early church. He intentionally includes a man named Simeon and also a man named Lucius, and then he includes additional information about them. Because we know Saul, we know Barnabas. But he wants us to get to know these guys a little bit. Simeon was a common Jewish name, but Luke adds, that he, adds a nickname. His nickname was Niger. Niger means black in Latin, which was the language of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had extended into Africa at this time. Most likely, Simeon is an African who, like Paul, also had dual Roman citizenship. Lucius is also a common name, but this particular Lucius 
is from Cyrene, we find out. Cyrene was a major city in a Roman province in Africa. So get this. Here we have two mature, spiritually gifted, highly respected leaders in the early church who were African. Isn't that interesting? One of the barriers to the spread of the gospel into some neighborhoods and to some regions is the erroneous belief that Christianity is white or that it is a Western European religion that is foisted on other cultures. It's not. I just want to take a second to point out from the scriptures, and we're not even going to get into early church history and the patristic era and all of that, but just from the holy scriptures, I want to point out that from the earliest of time, at the very founding of the, get this, leadership level of the church, Christ's church has rich African roots. And not only that, but Africa, the continent itself, has a native Christian heritage. This is a beautiful thing. As the gospel spreads out from Crossway Church, we need to know the history of the gospel that we are sharing with other people. It is ethnically and geographically diverse from the very outset, from the very beginning. And this is a beautiful thing, all right? So let's make a hard turn, and now we're going to talk about the church praying together for the sake of the spreading of the gospel, okay? For the last couple of weeks, if you've been with us, we've talked about the personal side of praying, right? We talked about like praying our way through the day, uh, asking anything of God, uh, praying like a child, and, and we need that personal relationship side of talking with God the Father. We need that part of it. But if that is all that we do in prayer, guys, or if that is primarily or mainly the only way we pray with God, things get really wonky after a while, okay? They just get weird. Our relationship with God starts to become a private faith, a private faith in God. A private faith, well, that's just something between me and Jesus. And you don't speak into that. And I don't speak into that with you. You understand what I'm saying? It's just between me and God. It's a private, personal faith. A private faith is something between me and God, and its purpose is to just help me feel better each day. It's to help me get through my day with my sanity intact and the needs that I need met, okay? And that kind of therapeutic faith, that kind of therapeutic belief in God doesn't really connect to the real world out there. And that means it doesn't have any real-world impact that we might see. In fact, praying that way over and over will actually separate us. It will actually isolate us from the world that we live in. We need to talk about this. You see, God wants more for us than a private but yet disconnected faith. God has gathered us together in a communal faith to participate in his mission that will have a lasting impact in the world. There is this communal aspect to our faith in Christ. It is a shared faith. I'm going to quote Paul Miller here. He says in this book we've been reading, quote, if you isolate praying from the rule of Jesus by not involving other Christians, 
If you isolate praying from the rule of Jesus by not involving other Christians, you'll end up doing your own will. Many Christians isolate their decision-making from the body of Christ, and then they further isolate themselves in their vacation home. And they say something like this, well, my husband and I prayed about it, and the Lord seemed to confirm it. Well, possibly the Lord did confirm it. It is also possible that you used prayer as a spiritual cover for doing your own thing. Close quote. Brothers and sisters, God calls us to a personal faith, but never to a private faith. That is really hard for us as Americans to get through our head. The church plays a role in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need one another. God calls us, yes, to a personal faith, but never to a private faith. When we look at the Bible, particularly when we look at Acts, we find that our relationship with Jesus is actually bound up with other Jesus followers. And it's bound up with the big mission of God. There's also this kingdom focus to our relationship with God. There's this personal relationship part, yes, but there is this kingdom come, thy will be done aspect. There is this mission of God part to our relationship with Jesus. King Jesus is on the move in the world to bring his liberating kingdom to all who will enter it. Praise God. And he calls his church to participate in his work by praying together as a faith community. So the question becomes, well, what kind of church is God pleased to accomplish his will through? Because I want to know that. If that's what he does, and I want to know what kind of church is he pleased to do his work through. I think what we see here in Acts is this. God moves powerfully in coordination with the prayers of the church under the direction of her leaders for the mission of the church. I'll say that again. That's a big idea of the message today, all right? God seems to move powerfully in coordination with the prayers of the church under the direction of her leaders for the mission of the church. So let's just take that big idea one piece at a time. First of all, God moves as the faith community prays together. I want you to see there's this coordination thing. All right? Let's go to the text, verses 1 and 2. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Then he's going to list them. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This guy had some status in the world. Oh, and Saul. Meanwhile, they were worship while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So the early Christians did not see themselves as merely individuals who just also happened to believe in Jesus. And that's like what they had in common. Rather, they saw themselves as part of a covenant community that Jesus spoke about in the upper room. 
the night before his crucifixion. That's how they saw themselves. For them, following Jesus was, yes, a personal relationship, but it was not a private relationship that was done in isolation from other believers in the church. They did not have even that category to think in. This is something that they're working out together. They're working out how to pray together with other Christians. They're working out what they believe about Jesus together with other Christians. They're committed to one another. They're doing this in community. And what's interesting about this particular scene is how the church leaders and church members are actually kind of, they're working together. Though the church had highly gifted prophets and teachers in their midst, that in and of itself was not a guarantee that God would speak to the church body apart from extended times of prayer and fasting and worship. Isn't that interesting? There's a lot in just these three verses that Luke records. He's a very detailed writer. You see, the church in Antioch had reached a tipping point in its history. They were a diverse church that was occasionally reaching Gentiles locally. But they needed to know what was the next step for their church. And they also needed to know when. When do they take that next step? What's that next step for us? Because something's moving. Something's happening. It's not going to stay like this forever. We sense that. We feel that. But when do we do this? That's kind of where they're at right now. They needed to spend time with God in prayer. Because however God moved, that is sense that's going to change the church. Antioch, church in Antioch is going to be different after God moves. I have a sense of this. What we see is before God chooses to move in the church at Antioch, the entire church assembles to meet with God in prayer. Isn't this beautiful? Every church member puts some skin in the game. That's what's going on here. The whole faith community devotes themselves to prayer and fasting for a period of time. What does that mean for us? Brothers and sisters, periodically, there are times in the life of a church that demand the collective attention and devotion of the entire church if God is going to move powerfully in that church. God wants his people to be prepared And he wants his people to be submissive to what he is about to do before he does it. He wants us to be ready. Wishing God would do amazing things through Crossway Church is not the same thing as showing up and asking God to do amazing things through Crossway Church. Those aren't the same thing. God seems to move in conjunction with the prayers of his people. It's almost as if God moves at the speed of prayer. The elders believe that we are at that kind of point in the life of Crossway. You know we're almost 10 years old, coming up on 10 years old pretty soon. Did you know that? And guys, there are certain challenges that we are facing that cannot be handled with merely sporadic prayers of a few faithful. Can't happen going forward. We also have a sense that God is calling our church to the next chapter of accomplishing that mission 
that God has given to cross way. Whatever that means. We're not even sure exactly what that means, but we feel like we're at this, it's this time point. It's coming. We're close. For that next chapter, this is going to take all of us coming together in prayer to see God move in our midst. This series on prayer is not purely academic, okay? This is not just for, like, us to, like, go have conversations conceptually, okay, at Coffee Oasis or something, okay, or in our house, right? If, you're, if that's what you're doing, listen, you're doing it wrong, okay? This is something Crossway needs to be putting into practice now. You need to be praying in your life groups as you're discussing prayer. You need to be praying in your discipleship triads. You need to be praying this stuff through, right? I'm sure you are, right? We need to put this in practice. Secondly, God moves through the intentional and intense prayers of the church. This is a detail I want to highlight. Don't skip over this. God moves through the intentional and intense prayers of the church. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping, we're going to come back to that word in a second. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, the word that Luke uses here for worshiping is letugeo. Letugeo. And here's what's interesting. This is the only place in the entire book of Acts that he uses that word for worship. He uses other words for worship, but that's the only place he uses letergeo. Now, that ought to perk your ears up if you're reading this in Greek. Whoa, what's that? Haven't read that before. What's he saying? He's trying to say something. Letergeo was used a lot, however, in the Old Testament for priestly worship when they would go worship in the temple. So those weren't just like people worshiping God out somewhere. This was with the priests, and they would go into the temple, right? So think about this. This is how they're worshiping, right? They're praying to God on behalf of God's people. They're making sacrifices of animals to atone for the sins of the people, right? This kind of worship is like they're doing work. They're not just celebrating. They're getting to work. Letergeo, okay? So that's how we need to think of this. So, so Luke is telling us that the church leaders here are functioning in some kind of priestly role during this gathering, whatever this gathering is, okay? The fasting most likely is the replacement for sacrificing an animal. We don't need to sacrifice animals because Christ is that sacrifice, but they're sacrificing food. They're giving that up. They're giving up meals together. So it gives that kind of flavor of what letergeo is. It's supposed to call that to our attention if we're readers of the entire Bible, right? Most likely, the church leaders are guiding the Antioch church through fasting and a prayer meeting that they have called in which the church is seeking God's will for the body. That's kind of like the picture that's going on here. And the point of this is that we get the sense from the way Luke is writing this, we get the sense that this is not just like a casual like weekend worship service to feed the flock. You understand what I'm saying? This is something set aside. This is something different than that. This is the flock getting to work spiritually together, all right? This is the church doing letergeo. Nothing about the description leads us to believe this was spontaneous or that it was some casual gathering of the church and her leaders. 
So it's not like someone like grabbed a guitar and said, hey, let's sing some songs. And someone said, all right, great, and I want to share a word. That's, that's not it. This is a period of time. It very well may have lasted several days, actually. But this was a period of time intentionally set aside. It was intentionally marked off and set apart for the entire church to pray and fast together. The fact that Luke actually records that there was fasting lets us know something. It lets us know that the prayers of the people at this time were planned and intense. Like, no one fasts on accident, right? Like, that just messes your whole day up, right? So he's letting us know. Whatever these prayers are that are going on, they're planned and they're intense. They're focused. The entire church was seeking God's will. The entire church was listening for God's voice. They're all going, okay, we're going to dial in to the frequency. Like, God, are you on FM? Okay, we're going to get on FM, okay? Where are you, God? Okay, we're listening. That's what they're doing here. When you suspend normal activities like eating food together, which is what Christians often did in Acts, it indicates that something of greater importance is happening, right? Or something of greater importance needs to happen, right? Like, how important is it for you to eat food? Pretty important. So when you suspend eating food, what are you saying? Something more important than eating food is is going on here. That's what this is indicating. Guys, there was a holy disruption to their personal schedules. There was a holy disruption in how they all did church, did church. But the expectation that God would move powerfully in their church. Normal routines would not do now. Normal means of communicating with God just just would not do right now. This was an intense in an intentional window of time in the life of the church. And God, the Holy Spirit, looks at his people fasting and in prayer and seems pleased to move in that church. God looks at his people serious about seeking his will instead of their own will, and he seems to be pleased to do something amazing in that church. Don't miss that. The Spirit says, set apart specific, set these specific men apart for the work which I've called them. Amen? In response to God the Holy Spirit, the church prays and fasts some more, presumably for a couple more days. I don't know. And then they commission Saul and Barnabas with their full support to strategically spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. They sent them out. They sent them off to uncharted territories. Brothers and sisters, we are becoming a church that moves at the speed of prayer, and we really want that to be more than a cute tagline in a sermon series that like, we forget about in six months, okay? We want it to be more than that. We want that conviction to be in our blood like it was in Antioch. We believe that a crossway is going to be more than a church. A crossway is going to be a church that is more than a spiritual Macy's for consumer Christians. If we're going to be a church that God would move through for His glory in Port Orchard, then this conviction must work its way into how we actually function as a church. 
We need to strategically set aside time and space to pray with focused intensity. To ask that his kingdom come through this church, not our comfortable kingdom. This is exactly uh, what we're going to do at our first uh, strategic prayer meeting, Friday, February the 21st. We're going to start at 6 p.m. It's going to be an hour. We're going we're gonna to have other strategic prayer meetings, by the way. This is not a one and done, but it's our first one. And we're going to be meeting at Pastor John's, uh, Pastor John's house. Um, his contact info is in the bulletin. If you need directions, just contact him. He'll tell you. He lives a couple blocks that way. Okay? But please mark that day. Please plan on giving up some time and being there. This prayer meeting is your real-life application to this sermon. All right? People always say, I want practical application. There it is. You're welcome. It's really easy, all right? This is how you apply what we're talking about today, all right? So thirdly, God moves in a way that accomplishes his mission. God moves in a way that accomplishes his mission. So we're talking about this. We need to, we need to periodically set aside intentional and extended times of prayer as a church. Okay, so what do we talk about God? Well, talk to God about then. What do we talk about God during these uh, Letegero gatherings? What's the content of our prayers? What's the topic? The advance of Christ's kingdom through the church. That is what you and I gather to talk to him about. He tells us. Remember, if all of our prayers are about our personal needs, if all of our prayers are about our personal relationship with the Father, our praying life is actually disconnected from what God is doing in the lives of our neighbors, in our state, and in the world at large. It's disconnected from the mission. We need both relational prayers and we need kingdom come, mission accomplishment, gospel spreading, gospel penetrating prayers. We need both of those things in the life of a healthy, vibrant church. And so um, we aren't praying about Aunt Trudy's back surgery, okay? We, we, we aren't praying that God would provide a new roof and gutters that, uh, you know, to Jim's house or to uh, Susie's exam that she has to pass on Friday. That's not what we're gathering to pray about. Those are all good things to pray about. Those are good personal things that you can pray about at any time, anywhere with anyone in your prayer closet. All right? No one's restricting that. And by the way, we've actually made multiple spaces for those kinds of prayers to be prayed here. Crossway. Every, after every Sunday service, the elders stand before you. Pastor John stands before you and says, if you would like prayer, come find an elder. They got name tags, so it's really easy to spot us or anyone else. We make an offer every week, come pray about anything. So there's space that we provided for that. Not only that, but Duel and Senior host a prayer meeting every Friday night at their house. And guess what? You can come and pray about anything. So there's two spaces we've carved out for that kind of praying. But that's not the focus of this prayer meeting in Antioch, okay? I mean, that's not why you gather the entire church together to seek the face of God. This space in verse 3 is intentionally carved out for asking God to accomplish his mission through the whole church. And so at Crossway, we've made multiple spaces for personal prayer requests. I mean, besides your own prayer time that you have. 
But I got to ask, where have we made space for the church to strategically gather and ask him for kingdom advancing requests? Guys, we got to do this. We got to make space for this on our schedules. We got to make space for this as a faith community. Amen? Amen. Here's something interesting about this, too. I tell you, there's a lot in just these three verses, but what's interesting is that Saul was actually called to preach the gospel to Gentiles way back in chapter 9, right? Yet Saul, a prophet and apostle, mind you, that's a lot of authority in a church, the church, right? A prophet and an apostle was not commissioned and released to that work until the entire church gathered to pray and laid hands on him in chapter 13. Now, what do you think about that? I found that really curious. In the Greek, the, the, the Holy Spirit literally says, now set apart Saul and Barnabas. Now set them apart for me. See, b- before it wasn't time. I don't know why, but before it wasn't time. Maybe the pieces weren't in place. Maybe the, the people in the church weren't ready. Maybe Saul and Barnabas weren't ready. I don't know, but it wasn't the time. And now is the time to release them to that work. They were called. They, had that, they heard that private message. But it wasn't time for them to be released to the church gathered together. See, it's a communal faith as well. Are you guys tracking with this? Am I threading the threads together here? Now's the time. Do it now, God says. This marks the end of spontaneous ministry to the Gentiles, by the way. And this marks the beginning of a fuller, strategic, and intentional outreach to the Gentiles all over the globe. That's the tipping point here. That's what's happened in the church. Antioch's going to be different after this. A new chapter has begun in the church, and things will be gloriously different from this point on. God is on the move in the church at Antioch, but that required intentional and intense prayers of the church. God seems to move at the speed of prayer, and that's why we need to move together at the speed of prayer. I want you to think about, while you're thinking about that, think about this. The Holy Spirit, in this verse, the Holy Spirit just called them to permanently send out their two most gifted and effective leaders. Now, what do you think about that? Send them out permanently. I mean, that's going to have a, that is a massive change that that church is going to feel immediately. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to feel the loss of Saul and Barnabas in that church as that le- those part of those leaders go. I mean, that might even be seen as a great loss for the church, right? They could have interpreted that way. They could have felt that when we're losing something. I mean, that just doesn't seem the way you grow a church. That seems like a real good way to shrink a church, but not grow and strengthen a church, Right? To send out your greatest assets? To send out your greatest resources? You better believe it required more fasting and prayer after they got that answer. Absolutely. God had answered them. But you know what? They did it for the mission of God, didn't they? They did it for the mission of God. 
They did it for the spread of the gospel to the whole world. Because they did that, you guys are sitting here. I'm standing here. Thank God that they listened and obeyed. The church was ready. The church was willing to do the will of God. Why? Because they were in a time of intentional, extended prayer with God. They were watching, they were waiting, and asking, and dialing in together. That's why. Uh, Our strategic prayer meeting will focus, uh, they're going to focus on one singular issue facing the church. Whenever we have one, they're going to focus on one singular issue. Okay, our prayers that night will be asking God to help Crossway accomplish the mission for the church that night. And our first meeting, we're going to focus on a, on a permanent home for our church. Uh, the elders believe that we've done all that we can do within the constraints of our current situation, for which we are really thankful to God for. Okay? Nevertheless, The leadership believes that not having regular access to a permanent building throughout a week has now become a genuine, real barrier to reaching people with the gospel long term. We've done all that we can do right now. And so we're gathering to ask God for his help in finding us a home that would please him, please him, and also help us, okay? And so before everyone gets really excited about asking God for a home, okay, I want to tie this to Scripture, okay? We must think and we must pray about this from the vantage point of how a building helps accomplish the mission of God at Crossway. We've got to have that mentality, brothers and sisters. We are not asking God to grant us a space so that we can all enjoy bigger, cozier, more comfortable Sunday services and Bible studies throughout the week. That is not why we're doing this and asking him for this, all right? If that's what we're asking God for, guess what? You can count me out. I'm not going to ask him for that. At best, that's a real step sideways, for all the change that that's going to bring. <laughs> that's not worth it. And so we've got to get that thought out of our head, okay? This is the, I've got my pastor cap on right now, all right? This church home needs to be strategic in reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, whenever God chooses to grant us a permanent home in his timing, he will grant us new neighbors. Have you thought of that? He'll grant us new neighbors. And that will change the makeup of Crossway. They may be in a different income bracket than you, wherever we end up landing. They may speak a language other than English during the week. They'll certainly have different beliefs than we do. Are we ready to be good neighbors to them right now? You ought to ask yourself that question. I've been asking that question myself. The elders have been asking me that question for a while. Are we ready to be good neighbors to them if God would be so pleased to grant us a permanent home? I mean, it is all good and it is totally fine to ask God for a home that is move-in ready, but I think it's more important to ask that God make us move-in ready. Does that make sense? 
We must pray and fast with an Antioch church mindset, brothers and sisters. A gospel-spreading, people-releasing and sending, comfort-sacrificing, Christ-exalting mindset. This is the mind we need to ask God for. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is never purely academic, but you call us to hear, you call us to bow our knees and humble ourselves, and you call us to obey. God, I thank you for the church. I thank you that you have never called us to an individualistic, privatized relationship with you but you've called us to a committed and communal faith in you. We need each other. Lord, Crossway needs an Antioch church mindset. And so, Lord, would you start shaping that in us? Would you teach us how to pray our Father in heaven and not just my Father? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. Guide us, good shepherd. Amen.